Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining, episode 69. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. Courtney, you seem to find something funny about that number. No, I'm just impressed that we've done this many episodes, because let's face it, this was a lark. This was, this was surprising. So good for us. We're yeah. closing in on 70. We're over two-thirds the way to 100, I think. It's true. And we always, you know, we have a couple episodes, like episodes A and stuff, so we kind of undercounted ourselves, which is kind of... How we roll in life, I feel. True, We're true. Under- Although we do have a lot of catching up to do, th- we do. this year. We do. We, we have been... Russia kept us apart for a while, so we have to keep breaking down that wall. And there's no nicer way to break down a wall than in the desert of California, which feels like freedom. It feels very promised land out there, even if there is no you know, freshwater resources or naturally growing greenery f- or Freedom whatever. insofar as it's, it's artificiality. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. It's like this pop-up. I mean, the whole Coachella Valley is basically a pop-up community that really has no business being there because it, there are, it's it's almost in a lot of ways unlivable, but they've made it livable by, by building, you know, getting water out there right. and building up golf courses and making it really fancy and nice. Yeah. I mean, in, in that way, it's kind of like comforting, but at the same time, there can be terror in the comfort. It is a little bit, I mean, it does not feel organic at all. Let's say that. It's very... Every flower and every tree is is there because someone planted it there. It's like Pleasantville. It is very it's very artificial. It's like yeah. very much like a movie set. Like you feel like if you like look behind the wrong way, you can see everything was just plywood. Which is great for two weeks. Yeah, and I love it. But I definitely was ready to come home somewhere more to or... the gritty, gross, funky smells and visuals of Northern California. You had a very nice we had a very nice time in Northern California today. Courtney showed me around her old hood. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, didn't smell too bad. Depends on what was, yeah, eh, there were smells, there were funky smells. I don't have a very, uh, discerning sense of smell. There was anyway. a lot of, there was, there were things being oh, inhaled yeah. around us. That's fair. At the park. That's fair. That was like, whoa, party time, that dude's having a good time at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Right. But, uh, yeah. That wasn't even the guy in his underwear. That wasn't. The guy in his underwear was just having himself a good day under the sun. And we'll. Gotta love the Castro. We'll give you no more details than that. I love um, my neighborhood. So, but yeah, we are back from Indian Wells, so let's dive right back into how Indian Wells finished and put a bow on that palm tree. Courtney, what do you make, what do we make of Novak Djokovic beating Rafael, uh, oof. Wow. <laughs> Start that over. What do we make of Novak Djokovic beating Roger Federer in the final of Indian Wells in a third set tiebreak? Yeah, I mean, it was a great match. Um, very exciting and I think I tweeted this, uh, my immediate reaction afterwards was just, I just really look forward to those two playing again. I think that it was... Such a fun matchup. Yeah, it's just, it was good. I mean, it was, and it's a fun matchup when Roger's playing well. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's not a particularly fun matchup, unless I guess you're a Novak fan, uh, when Roger's not playing well. So I liked kind of the, the, the um, push and pull and the tug of war in that match. Um, I really was impressed by Novak's ability to kind of not grow too frustrated in the second set. He didn't see a, a break point until late in the second set. Um, and yet was still getting to 30 all like so many times on yeah. Fed serve. So to, for him to kind of keep his cool and keep plugging away and finally get that break. Um, and then to rebound in the final set after failing to close it out um, on his own serve and going to tie break, playing a, a, a really solid tie break uh, compared to how well Federer played that tie break. So well-deserved to him. Um, and, 
in a lot of ways, it was the tournament that Novak needed, um, not just to win. I mean, winning is great, but to kind of have those wobbles and to come out um, positive, I think that's really a very positive development for him in his game this year. I mean, it's a very interesting thing for a tennis, like a lot of other, any other bracket sport and like the amazing race or whatever else you want to compare it to. It's not like a, you don't look at the collective body of work and decide who gets the trophy at the end. You look at everyone just surviving each round to the next. And you, and I think it's very fair to say, I bet Novak would agree that Federer was the better player over the first five rap matches they each played at that tournament didn't really matter in the end even if Djokovic dropped sets to guys like Alejandro Gonzalez and to Marin Cilic who was playing really well that there was no shame in dropping a set to Cilic I don't think anybody thought although it was 6-1 and almost a bagel uh, so that part the scoreline actually watching it it was pretty woeful on the Djokovic end but Djokovic came out in the end and finished the job and just never lost and that's all you really need to do to win a tournament is not lose I mean we see this we saw this a lot last year with Victoria Azarenka yeah you know when I I remember like being the season kind of looking back on Azarenka's year and really struggling to kind of put it all together because on the whole, in 2013, she didn't play great, Mm -hmm. but she had those matches against Serena in the finals where she did play well or she won, I mean, whatever it was. And, you know, the U.S. Open, she played horribly for six matches. She was sloppy. Horrible. And then the seventh, you know, her seventh match, the one against Serena in the final. Played a great match, really pushed it. You know, that was a great one. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, exact Cincinnati was a horrible tournament from her. Came through in the end, beat Serena, like, in a third set tie break. Remember that? Um, but a number of different times, like, where she... And, yeah, I mean, it's, like, one of those things where, you know, when you're when you're in a position to where you need to analyze, you do analyze a body of work, you know, to yeah. kind of say, like, well, on the whole, on the aggregate, this person is playing better than this person, but that's not how you judge tournaments. No, that's absolutely true. And obviously Djokovic leaves with the trophy. Azarenka left with the trophy in Cincinnati. We can say that one time and came close in New York. And I think it is a measure, it is a reflection of the respect we have for these players that we do we, that we do feel entitled <laughs> to say, oh, she played horrible yeah. that time when she won those four matches necessary to make the final. Right. And I think that's you know what those players have earned on some level is us being like, we know you're so good. If you give us less than your best, we notice. And that you, it could still be enough to win, but not enough to always get A pluses on the scorecard. Right. Um, and yeah, so Djokovic won. It's Djokovic's third straight Masters title, including going back to Shanghai and Paris. And also, if you want to add the World Tour Finals, he won that too, which is sort of like a King Masters event a little bit. It's definitely not a slam, but it's closer to Masters. King me, king me. Yeah, I think so. Long live the king. Long live the king. As, as one of his family members would Ding say. Ding dong. Exactly. But does it feel... I think we were talking about this before. I think a lot of the coverage of this men's result was of Federer. Obviously, he's an, an easier narrative because he's getting back into the top five. He's playing much better than he did before. Whereas Djokovic has sort of established himself as this very status quo player where it's like he's going to bring this consistently high level... And him going out and winning a Masters tournament on a hard court, one that he's won before a couple times in a country he's won in plenty of times, is not really news per se, unless he beats Rafa. I would say maybe be the the, the contingent on that. Um, but it just feels like Djokovic winning is a bit of a non-headline in a way. But Federer making the final and being back top five was the bigger headline. Is that fair? I think. Well, I don't know if it's fair, but I think it's. Probably it's true. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily fair because obviously it's it's a great result for him and it changes the narrative of his 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 2014 season. I mean, 
he admitted that he came into to Indian Wells this year with a you know lacking confidence because he hadn't won a title for the first time since I think 2008 when he last came into Indian Wells titleless or something maybe or actually earlier than that 2007 2006 something like that um but I think that it really comes down to expectation yeah and uh with Novak we expect him to win these tournaments we expect him at this point to be solid at the Masters and what was happening in the beginning of this year was a dip in expectation right like we expect you to you know win the Australian Open he was my pick 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 to win it and I didn't even think twice he'd made a ton of consecutive master semis and he dropped that and he lost to Vavrinka so it's been a down year if you make a quarter losing a quarter of Australia bad result for Djokovic by the standards he's established for himself right so you know I mean in terms of expectations so even then coming into Indian Wells, I mean, yes, winning is a boost because you think, okay, well, that definitely is different than what he's done over the course of the last, you know, two and a half months, but, or, yeah, two and a half months, but, um, you know, I mean, but the story really was Federer. I mean, it was about the resurgence and, and expectations coming into this season for him were not low, but they just were muddy. We just didn't know what to expect from him until so to see him week after week build and build and build and seemingly get himself to, into a position where, you know, for a long time, I feel like, especially last last year, uh, towards the end, there was kind of like this, like, is there really a big four anymore? Yeah. Like, you know, like, is Federer, is it really, can we really consider him a challenger at the Slams? And he, and, and I really didn't think that you could. And now he's starting to prove that, eh, you know, hold on, you guys. And I was, I'm interested to ask you, Ben, like, what did you think of, what do you think? And I think this has come up many times about okay. Rogers. I have a chip on my shoulder, but I don't have a chip on my shoulder about how the press has treated him. I asked him about that because I thought it was an interesting sort of thing he got into saying about how, oh, you lose a few matches and suddenly everyone says you can't play tennis. I think it's almost a direct quote of what he said. And there was a bit of uh, obviously some sarcasm. He can be a fairly sarcastic guy. Um, he can be <laughs> much bitchier than people give him credit for. <laughs> totally. Which, is, which I say is a huge compliment to someone who you know, I think it's occasionally the same way. I hope people give me credit for it. Um, yeah, Federer totally was a bit of, yeah, a bit of I told you so-ness with, with his run. And I, mean, I think he earned that. I think it's always something that's earned if you, there are haters. There were people writing these think pieces after the U.S. Open being like, oh, it's just so sad seeing him say like this. He should just retire so he can remember the good times and he doesn't diminish his legacy. We did a whole show called, like, tarnishing the legacy that was about Federer and all the questions we got about Federer, um, you know, diminishing himself by continuing to play when he might not be an ethereal, heavenly being on court. And I understand that. I'm, like, that. gagging in the corner, by the way. <laughs> the whole, you, but that's what the that's but what I know, but, like, it's, it's just the way that people talk about him bothers me, but continue. I, we know it does. Um, but, yeah, so it was definitely interesting to be there to see his reactions to it. And he was proud of himself. And definitely a little bit of, I told you so. I think basically. Sure, but what bothers me okay. about the whole thing is, yes, he is that. And then he's like, not that I care what you guys have to say. I mean, I don't read anything. And like, you know, like, I'm not, no, I mean, I don't hold a grudge. I don't care about revenge. I don't care about telling people. I'm like, that's the part that bothers me. Like, if you want to be haters to the left, then be haters to the left. But don't be like, haters to the left. Oh, and by the way, like. No, I totally didn't call you a hater, and I'm totally, I'm not that guy. Like that shiftiness totally bothers me. Just own it, Raj. Like it's cool, man. I think, like I think if you want to shove it in everybody's face, shove it in everybody's face. It's fine. But none of this, like, I'm gonna shove it in your face, but I'm also gonna be like, what do you? Th no, I didn't do that. Like I don't care. 
I'm going to sit here and voluntarily talk and monologue about how, like, all these things that people were writing about me and how I'm kind of like, yeah, and I totally proved everybody wrong. And then the next follow-up question of, like, yeah, does it feel good to prove people wrong? Oh, no, no, no. Like, I'm not in it to prove people wrong, and I don't really care. Like, you know, people can write whatever they want, and I have, I have thick skin, and I don't care. I'm like, come on, dude. Stop. That's what bothers me. I have no retort to that. <laughs> um, yeah, so Federer is back in top five, playing really well, won a title in Dubai, uh, made finals here. Him and Edberg seem to be doing well. How good do you think his year can be? He's going to be like number four, likely, without a big performance from David Ferrer in Miami. So he'll be back in the big top four. Oh, David Ferrer is going to be in Miami? Yeah, so far. Was yeah. he not in Indian Wells? He was not in Indian Wells. I don't know if anyone noticed. <laughs> I didn't notice. Anyway. Sorry. Anyway. Yes, Federer will be likely to be back top four. Courtney, how good can his 2014 be for the Roger? Can he win a slam? Can he get back higher than number... I think getting to number three doesn't sound impossible because Wawrink is there right now. Can he get back top two? Can he pass one of Djokovic or Nadal? What can Federer do in 2014? Federer cannot pass Djokovic or Nadal is okay. what I'll say because... It's a big I ranking the gap. Bo- yeah, there's a big ranking gap and plus clay is clay. And those yeah. two are going to be dominant on clay, and he's going to be a little bit more vulnerable. I think that can he win a slam? I'm not going to go out there and say that. I think that I would, I am more inclined to say yes now than I was three months ago, but that's sure. not to say that I would say yes. If you so, had to say yes or no, you'd say no. I'd still say no, okay. but I, I, I would maybe think about it a split second longer. Um, I, uh, you know, I think that there's always going to be the question of Rafa, and I think that against Novak, he's always going to be 50 50. And so. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure about that. But in terms of the rankings, I, I still don't think that's going to be... I don't think he's going to be top two. I think in terms of question of Rafa, I think there's no question. It's just like, eh. Yeah. In terms of Rafa, Rafa's a non-starter beating Rafa at a slam. Should be something. Maybe Wimbledon if it's playing really fast or something. But other than that, yeah, I think Rafa has to be considered something close to a prohibitive favorite against Federer at this point in these big matches at the big tournaments. Djokovic, definitely beatable. Murray, definitely beatable. Vavrinka, definitely beatable. Ferrer, definitely beatable. All the other guys, yes, but Rafa really more and more has stood out as just a complete do-not-pass-go, do-not-collect-slam-trophy guy for Roger. And that's, you know, happens. That's uh, all right. I mean, I was thinking yeah. about it today when, uh, I don't know, I was thinking about the Miami draw, and I was just, I don't have my computer in front of me, but you guys can look it up, but go back the last couple years and look at how many finals Maria Sharapova has lost to Serena Williams. Quite a few. A lot. And and compare those to how many matches she's lost outside of those. And it's like a pretty start. I mean, so when you talk about a stopper. Yeah. Like someone who is like literally just completely affected your entire career. And is just going to like take away your titles. Take away slams. What's up, Anderson Burditch? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's brutal. And it's rough. And it's not a knock on you. It's just them's the breaks yeah you know yeah so so let's let's use that as a segue to someone who was not stopped on the women's side you mentioned maria and serena who neither of whom were factors in the late rounds of indian wells for different reasons obviously um but one person who was unexpectedly is flavia panetta who walks away with a trophy she can't lift so maybe she has a roller bag or something hopefully to take that home in or maybe they just or someone to carry it it for her. her i will say there was a woman who was moving it around like photo shoots who was tiny 
And she lifted it. This lady was strong. Well, but yes, but like it's not that it's unliftable. It's just that if you are secure with it, right. you know how to hold it. Right. And I'm sure that that lady. And has... she was lifting it in like non graceful ways. Exactly. Too, not in like I'm posing for a photo ways. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the thing is too heavy to lift during trophy ceremonies, which is dumb. It's failure. A design trophy flaw. failure. How do you design a trophy that you can't lift? Even the Davis Cup, which is technically like unliftable, is liftable. Is liftable. <laughs> People lift the Stanley Cup yeah. much bigger. This is just like the most unliftable trophy. There's no way to get a real handhold Queens, on it. Queens, that big cup thing they can hold with one finger. They, they're just compensating for something with that cup. And Davis, I'm not exactly sure what Inuyasha is trying to prove. Bring back the whale, I say. I don't care Pacific Life isn't the sponsor anymore. The whale was awesome. Just ask Hantukova. She'd love the whale. Anyway, back to someone else of Hantico's generation, Panetta, who won her biggest title of her career, seated 20th, beat Sloan, beat Lina, beat a injured Radvanska in what was a very underwhelming final. But what was it like to see Flavia as the winner? It was great. I mean, I enjoyed it insofar as just like personally, just because she's a player that I definitely enjoyed watching when, you know, back in in her heyday of, you know, 08, 09. And stuff, and she's a great quote, and she's fun interview, and she's just a, a cool person. Um, cool lady. Cool lady. Cool lady. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think on the whole, it's a little disappointing just because it is, you know, for as big as Indian Wells is, and if Serena's not going to play it, you want the champion in a lot of ways to be a big name and somebody to carry forth this kind of reputation of the tournament being like, you know, one of these mega tournaments and things like that. And so when a, a Panetta breaks through, it, it, it feels it's like a one-off. A little bit. It feels a bit random, which isn't to say that it is necessarily random because this result, I mean, Flavia has been building towards it yeah, she ever has. since Wimbledon last year. Wimbledon fourth round, uh, U.S. Open semifinals, uh, Australian Open quarters, uh, quarterfinals of Dubai, and then now she wins the Indian Wells and she did it in, you know, really, you can't argue with her run. She beat the top two seeds to yeah. win the freaking title, you know? Just like Lavrenka did in Australia. Exactly. You can't argue with it. But, like, what does it mean uh, going forward? Does it is it a result that you put much stock into? Is it a result that changes how you analyze the rest of the year? That I don't I don't necessarily think so. I think that for now, to me, it's a one-off. If I, you know, if in five months Flavia's gone on a Simona Halep-like run of, like, three or four more titles, then we'll all point to, like, Indian Wells and say, that was her breakout or whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Although I will say, I thought that Flavia played very well throughout the oh, tournament. Yeah. Um, it was vintage Panetta tennis, which is a fun style of tennis to watch to I, me. I can't say that she played well against Sloan Stevens. Sure. I mean, that was one of the, what in the final set or the, no, whole, the whole thing? The whole match I thought was really ugly, yeah. but, and they, and Flavia admitted as much, um, war Patricia, she got through that. She won ugly and she won pretty, uh, the lean on match ran hot and cold. It had good moments and bad moments. And she won that one, too, in the Radvanska match. Big two. I just agree. I think it's one that you want a tournament, especially one this big, to feel like it's building towards something. And this one might just have felt more like a conclusion. This was sort of her Lifetime Achievement Award, award in trophy form. I mean, she's put in good work over a lot of time, made a bunch of quarters of big tournaments, a couple semis, and now she gets a trophy and a million dollars. And good for her. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's difficult because with Indian Wells in Miami, it's kind of the weird part of the season where you have Masters tournaments that aren't really building up to anything. Yeah, they're not so, warm-ups. Right, they're not warm-up tournaments for a major, you know, so you have Indian Wells, you have Miami, both on hard courts in North America. There isn't a big-ass, like, you know, hard court tournament afterwards. So 
unless a big name, an established name, wins, I you know, Indian Wells and Miami, it feels like a completely ignorable event. Like when Ivan Lubitsch. Right, one, it's, it's like a Lubitsch result. Yeah, it, a little bit where you're like, that was great, and you had an amazing tournament, and you played great. I mean, Lubitsch did that year. He beat Nadal, and he beat Roddick, Roddick. who was playing really well. Yeah, um, Roddick then won Miami like, yeah. the, the two weeks after. But, like, if it's going to be that, it's going to be a result that you just don't remember, and that's not Flavia's fault, and I don't think Flavia gives a shit, honestly. She's she got a million not. bucks, and this is the best thing that's ever happened to her tennis-wise, and she's feeling pretty good and happy and healthy and all these sorts of things but like you know is it some it's just going to be one of those results that we're going to have to remind ourselves happened yeah i think unless she continues to take this momentum forward and becomes like a force on clay and then it becomes a relevant result because she builds towards a roland garros run but there's no reason to think that that's going to happen because hard courts are her best surface what anyway. do you what do you think it says about wta that we've had a few of these big tournaments and i realize that serena wasn't at this one and for results-wise, in terms of big-picture things, that does put a little bit of an asterisk on any mandatory tournament that Serena's not at. And Azarenka obviously was hurt, too. But what does it say about the WTA right now that you can have Panetta winning a, a premier mandatory, a big one, have Sibokova in the final of a slam, and have Bartoli winning a slam all within the last uh, eight months? But you're talking about a span of time when there have been major question marks about the top women in the game. So Vika's been injured yeah. basically sit that entire time. Yep. Sharapova's been injured basically that entire time. You know, Serena, bad luck here, bad luck there, like whatever, however you want to read it. Um, but I don't think that there's, I mean, I think that's like a little bit too small of a sample set considering how much dominance the, you know, the WTA quote-unquote big three were having before that. I agree. So I don't, I, I wouldn't read too much into it, but it is true though that, you know, it's, it's inarguable that the WTA has more parity than the ATP. Sure. That on any given day, number 25 can beat number one, and you don't think that that's necessarily going to happen on ATP. So that can, you know, you have players going on streaks, but, you know, for a while I think the WTA did have that site run of time where in order to win a title, you might have to go through all three of the Sharapovas, Redvanska, uh, you know, even that, that four, Redvanska, Sharapova, Azarenka, Serena, like in some combination. Yeah. And that was a difficult thing to do. So you, those players that might pull off the upset would get dumped out the next round. Now, because there's so many question marks around those, like you know, three or four players, you there don't are have, yeah, there are openings, and and you can shoot the gap basically. Yeah. And um, even with even by beating the top two seed, yeah. Radvanska and Lena have not been proven as the sort of stoppers. I mean, Lena, right. for all she's accomplished in the sport, she's a, almost a lock for the Hall of Fame. At this point, she's won two slams. Defo lock. But she's never made the final of a premier mandatory event. She has, yeah, never won one, obviously. Barely done better at the premier fives. She's faced just one top 20 opponent this year in 19 matches. Yeah, so she is someone who obviously we all have a lot of admiration and respect and uh, appreciation for, but in terms of her formidability on court this year as a true um, uh, top dog, I don't know that she necessarily uh, has the paperwork to back that up. But that's obviously not her fault either. She's mostly played, beaten who she's gotten to play, and that's fine. Um, you did mention, uh, we didn't mention Radvanska. What do you make of Radvanska's tournament? I think that it was a great tournament for Aga. I don't think that the desert um, conditions suit her game. I feel the same way about Lina. I think that Indian Wells, in terms of a, a Masters t- or a 
WTA mandatory title that both of those two are going to be chasing is not going to be one that they're going to win um, before they win another one. Um, sure. So I think that the just the, the way that the, the conditions play there, the wind, the um, uh, how quickly the ball moves through the air, but then the slow court, like all these sorts of things, it's just not high bouncing. It's just not really suitable to their games. So I think that they've had a they had a successful tournament. That said, you know I think that it was for Redvonska in particular very disappointing that her body just kind of gave out. And even though she won't really buy it, because I've asked her this question many times over the course of the last year, whether or not she thinks that maybe she, you know she's just expending, um, you know that it that for her to get through four, five, six matches at a tournament, she has to expend more energy and more mental energy than other players. She kind of won't necessarily buy that premise, and I don't understand why she keeps rejecting it. Well, I think she bought it more in Australia yes. than here. No, yeah. it, both in Australia and at, at Wimbledon, she said, I can't be bogged down by three-set matches early. Um, and this one, she's right. She only played one three-set match. Right, and she had a double bagel on and, the way. Yeah, stuff, exactly. So, yeah. She didn't expend a whole lot of energy, but the argument still can, still goes that it just takes her more yeah. to get through than somebody who just can stand there and play three-shot rallies. And win points. And she's someone who has not proven to be a reliable pick when she's a much higher seed in late rounds of these big tournaments. I mean, you look at her against Panetta, obviously she was hurt, we understand that. But look at her against Lissicky at Wimbledon. Look at her against Sibokova in Australia this year. She has been someone who has looked like, oh, she really should get through this on paper, and then doesn't. And that's, you know, something she's got to learn to close on these tournaments, you know. The killer Close. instinct. Yeah, exactly. And so... Like, this is mine. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. ask yourself, can I win it? It's like, no, this is mine. Like, yeah. this is mine to have to lose. And maybe that's, you know, too much pressure. Maybe, I don't know. But but it's a, it's a, it's a worrisome trend with her that, you know, like even last year, Stanford made the final against Sabolkova, lost it. Sabolkova beat her. Like, in these matches that she's supposed to win, she doesn't come through a lot of times. And that's worrisome. Yeah. Um, let's talk just a few brief hits on a couple of the other assorted people who made it deep in Indian Wells, um, men and women. Uh, John Isner, his week, back in the top ten. America back in the men's top ten. Oh, we're out of the dark ages and we see the light, Courtney. How does it feel? Yeah, John Isner's back in the top ten. It's a great result for him. It was a good tournament for him. He played well. You know, things could have gone either way, really, against Novak if, if he had played those three points better in the first set to get the, the first set break, no. but... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, solid, good for him. Maybe I mean, I don't think that it, like, changes anything, uh, you know, in terms no. of John. It's just, like, you know, he still has to learn how to play outside of the States. He still has to ha- get a get good healthier. result at a, sl- at a slam, you know? I mean, for all the talk and everything, like, does anybody really think that he can make it through a best-of-five, you know, major tournament? He's got to make a semi or something at some point. A quarter. Yeah. You know, like, just, you know, it's got to be something, but... Yeah. I mean, but it's a great week for him, but... Um, nothing, nothing we didn't know. Yeah. That's probably fair. Um, Dolgopolov, I think we talked about in the last show, but he backed it up with a few more wins. He made a semis, also a bench draw. Fun, fun player. I think everyone enjoys watching Dolgopolov, at least people who are in the tennis circles, at least like him as a very different person to watch and mm-hmm. a breath of fresh air. Can he sustain what he did? I'm not the one to ask. Right. You know, I, I mean, I don't I, think anybody knows. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if he even knows. But, but you know, you have to be able to follow everything up, right? I mean, and that's the whole thing that that Federer said this past week, which is that, like, you know, while everybody was writing these like think think pieces and these long things about how, like, 
oh, the people in the locker room believe. And the players say, like, oh, yeah, Stan made us believe, like, whatever. Yeah. And Roger was, like, the one that was like, yeah, that's just talk. And I just played Novak in the final, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same he, old, same old. You know, I mean, and then Roger's right. You can't take it off one tournament, no. and you can't take it off you know, a three-month stretch. Like, these players can say that they they believe all they want, but they have to go out there and they have to do it. And at the end of the day, for all the believing, it was Roger and Rafa, or, sorry, Roger and Novak in the final, and Novak won. We keep trying to say that Rafa made this final, and he didn't do it. We, we missed, keep, I missed Rafa. You know. You know, I did. That early. But, um, but yeah, so, yeah, let's see it. Let's see it, guys. Fair. Um, other women, uh, Sloan? Positive week. Yeah. You know, disappointing loss uh, to Panetta just because it was a, a huge opportunity for her. Yeah. Upper break in the third. Yeah. Double. Double break, right? 3-0. Double, three, double break 3-0 in the windy third. And upper break 4-3, I think, too, maybe. Yeah. But, um, but, but a positive week. And, again, like, if she ends up going on a, a good, solid run over the course of the next three months, we'll point to Indian Wells as being the tournament that she turned a corner at. But I'm not going to say that she turned a corner until right. uh, uh, we see her complete the turn. She had a nice <laughs> size win against Ivanovic. It could be seen yeah. as, like, hasn't beaten that many top 20 players lately. So for her to do that, it's good. Um, Leslie, uh, Lena, first tournament as a top seed at a big one. Uh, she was very happy when she left. Uh, do you think that that was sort of earned, I guess, for her to be that content with her week here? Yeah, I think so. She played her... C plus B minus level game and made the semifinals of a premier mandatory as the top seed. And um, for her mentally, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. You know, I mean, she really she had to learn how to win ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And and most players will tell you that that's that's the toughest thing to kind of break through and, and, and not get caught up in you know, and trapped in your own brain yeah. of like, oh, I'm playing like shit. It's I like slowness that way, too. Yeah. Yeah. Sloan has to sort of learn to not be perfectionist. Well, that was the thing, right? When she had the 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 coaching timeout with Paul Anacone, and she's like, "I'm not playing well" or whatever, and he's like, "Look at the scoreboard." Yeah. And she was like leading in the scoreboard, and he's just like, "What? Who cares?" Like, you know what I mean? And and that's that's a very important lesson for people to learn. They'll get it. Yeah. And I think that's about any other people who jump out at you. Andy Murray. Yeah. Let's talk about Andy Murray briefly. Andy Murray has played a lot of tournaments this year. Quietly, he played Doha, he played Kuyong, I want to say, he played Australian Open, he played Rotterdam, he played Acapulco, he played Indian Wells, he played the Madison Square Garden Exhibition. He's played a lot of quantity, not a lot of quality so far from Andy Murray. Should he be alarmed? If he goes out early in Miami, he could be down to number eight. Yeah, I mean, he's he is alarmed. I mean, yeah. he he is, and he should be, just because, you know, Annie Murray has never had a problem winning ugly. No, not and at He's all. never been somebody who, like, ever felt the pressure of, like, oh, I'm playing, like, horribly. Like, he's right. a scoreboard guy. Yeah. He manages the score very, very well. That's and... how he got through that match against Vesselade in New Wells, which was a stinker for gener- for the generations. Right. Yeah, no, it wasn't good. So, you know, I mean, I think that, that he is going to go back to the drawing board, and I think that, that especially now that, that the hard court sees him, I think he, he really made the push through the hard courts to try and obviously get points, get his form back and everything. Miami will be the end of that. Um, and then he'll have kind of the clay to regroup a little bit and, and prepare for Wimbledon and his Wimbledon defense. But, yeah. um, you know, he he's, if he says his body feels good, that's great. But maybe he should be then you applying that in practice at, instead of matches. Maybe, maybe. But I honestly don't know. I mean, I... 
I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily think that he's been overscheduled. If his body feels fine. I don't think that, I mean, if you feel good physically, which he says he does, yeah, go play tournaments. Don't sit on the practice court. Like, you need to get match fit. But um, mentally, he's losing focus. And, you know, maybe he does need to play matches for that to get back together. All that is to say, I don't know. I mean, that, yeah, you we know. don't know. But it's interesting. We'll see. Time will tell. Miami, he's one, I think, with the most sort of, uh, pressure Miami of any player, man or woman, I think is Andy Murray. See how and he, he has a crap it. draw. Yeah. So maybe that'll take pressure off him. Maybe. Um, so his Miami draw, he has to, he may have to go through Djokovic in the quarters, Federer in the semifinals, and Nadal in the finals, which is obviously the same, but flipped uh, for, Djokovic. for Djokovic, who yeah. have to go through. But given their respective forms, that's way tougher for Murray. Um, and since he's the defending champion, it has a bit more impact since Novak actually could gain points in Miami given his relatively early exit last year uh, to Haas. Haas. Yeah. So, yeah, so Miami should be interesting. Serena returns as well. Yeah, let's, let's so, switch to talking about the draws. What do you make of the Miami draws big picture so far? Men's fairly even, I think, because Murray is a is a 5-8 through seed now, and so is Federer, so they had to go somewhere, and I think it was good for draw balance, as we always say, that one of those two uh, landed in the Ferrer quarter. This time it was Federer. Uh, so it feels stable there. Was compared to if it was like a Ferrer, Burdich quarter or a Ferrer Delpo quarter with Delpo being hurt. Uh, what do you make of draws, big picture, and I guess little picture? If you have any little picture thoughts. Yeah, no, the men's draw looks interesting. It looks a bit kind of boring through the first few rounds. I didn't see too many um, uh, matches that I thought were like super crazy interesting in the early rounds for the guys. But hopefully that means that the draw holds up, the seeds progress through, and so we get more exciting. Uh, uh, second uh, second week uh, and deep into the later rounds. Uh, women's draw, kind of not necessarily balanced, but a good draw. I think that's... Fun draw. Oh, yeah, fun draw. Um, I think Serena probably got the, the easiest section for her. Um, it works out well. She drew Maria Sharapova in her half, so they are projected to meet in the semifinals if Maria can get that far. And then on the other side of the draw, it's that Red Vonska quarter that is going to be just full of bloodshed and I can't wait for um, things to start there. So Venus and Halep. Simona Halep could play in the third round, which would be great. The Very winner, the, the winner could play Sabolkova, which would be good as well. Jeannie Bouchard is also in that group. Pekovic is in that group. Obviously, Radvanska if she plays. So that's fun. And then Lena has a theoretically fairly straightforward path to the semis, potentially finals. But uh, we never know what is going to happen with Lena. She's never made it past the quarterfinals. In Miami, so there is that, and she has the glitter bomb Yelena Yankovic in her quarter as well as Sloan Stevens, I believe. Yeah, Yankovic's mini section is tough because she could play one of either Stevens or Wozniacki, although she did handle Wozniacki with ease in Indy Wells, which we pointed out, um, but still looks vaguely tough on paper. Uh, also, Svitolina's playing Bouchard yeah. in the second round. That's a, That's big a great one. I'm, I'm looking forward to Svitolina Bouchard. Puig Wozniacki actually could be interesting. If Puig, Puig is the kind of win that she should really be sort of um, sharpening her teeth for, just to be like, this is an attackable win. She's obviously one of the more driven, tenacious players on tour. Puig, and I think she could sense. And Caroline's some weakness. wobbling. Yeah, yeah she's wobbling for sure. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see what comes out of that. And it should be a fun week. Uh, does this, how does you think, I think I've said before that for me, on court, anyway. I think off court, anyone else is by far the fifth slam in terms of being around the facilities, the grounds, the quality of everything, fifth slam. 
And for the men on court, I think you'd probably say this too. For the women, for me, especially because of the Serena factor, Miami has been the fifth slam. Does that seem... Are you on board with that premise? Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with that premise, except for the fact that it's tied to a specific player. Yeah. You know, which means that, like, okay, so then the minute that Serena hangs up her hat, then Miami will never be the fifth slam ever again. Well, that's fair. Effectively, right? So it's kind of... But, I mean, I understand theoretically where you're coming from, but... You know, it's not like she's blocked from playing Indian Wells. She can always play it if she wants to. I totally support her decision to skip it. No, as, as do I. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I necessarily buy it as much anymore because the gap is so big now in terms of facilities and just kind of the, 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 the tournament that fans seem to look forward to as well. Um, players seem to like it more. I think that once you get to Miami, a lot of the players are kind of like their minds are already on clay. And they kind of get over it. In Miami, there's a lot of distractions. So in terms of the, the focus, kind of get some, some bomb outs That's relatively fair. early. One but. thing I would say, I think the atmosphere in Miami is much more electric in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that get oh yeah. I mean, if you go to like a Delpo match in Miami, there's nothing that compares to that in any wells. Although they were very, very pro-John Isner. And, and Roger Federer in the final too. They picked their, they picked their dogs and they root pretty hard for them in the late rounds. Uh, but there's just sort of emptiness in some of the sessions in Indian Wells that you don't get always in Miami. Anyway, I think that's about all we need for this show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for listening as always. If you want to uh, follow us when we're not when you're not listening to us actively, you can follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash NCR podcast, and subscribe to us on iTunes and get the up the episodes, as soon as they come in, they'll be delivered straight to you, and you can get on the podcast app on the iPhone and all sorts of other fun podcast app software type stuff for mobile and computer, and leave us reviews on iTunes and all that good stuff, and we much appreciate it. The East Bay of California, we're signing off. This is our first time ever doing a show live here. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. From the NCR West Studios, I'm Ben Rothenberg. She's Courtney Nguyen. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.